When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Dave, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. My guest in this episode is one of the state's most inspiring social and business entrepreneurs. She's an award-winning speaker. She's a leadership facilitator, something of a revolutionary, I think we can say. Uh, and you'll find her name pop up on those uh, those lists that come out from time to time where they, they, they list, you know, people of influence, uh, people of importance. I think in essence we can say that she's very much uh, someone who uh, who tries to make a positive change in the community. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Alicia Curtis. Hi, Alicia. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. How would you describe yourself? I mean, what do you, when you wake up in the morning, what do you want to achieve in that day? I think. For me, it's about facilitating change. So first and foremost, I'm a leadership facilitator. I what, what does that mean? I run leadership programs. So I was very lucky when I was in university. I needed a job and I created my own job really by going out and sharing my experiences as a teen leader. So I would go out and speak to 200 kids, you know, in high schools. I would go out to regional areas, talk to kids about how they could create change in their communities. Mm. And I started to develop my own flavor of leadership programs. They were very experiential. They focused on believing kids wherever they were, that they could be leaders and they could create change. And I shared my stories of how I was able to create community projects and helped them create their own. So this, as I understand, sort of all really took off when you were at university. You're doing a law degree. Yes, uh, I was studying obviously law. Obviously not finding that a completely Very fulfilling experience. <laughs> I was probably in the library reading uh, biographies of entrepreneurs and leaders and change makers. That's where my heart um, really was. Yep. I, I suppose when I first think about it, the, the first sort of catalyst for me was when I was 12 and I got um, an opportunity to attend the first International Children's Conference on the Environment. I would I would say that was the catalyst that really changed my life. I went to England, um, experienced this conference, 800 kids from 90 different countries. All who how, did, how do you end up going to one of these? I mean, it was really, was it, I don't not picked, know. Were you picked to go? Yes, or, I yeah, was. Okay. I was. I was this 12-year-old, this daggy kid who lived out in Bullsbrook, an hour out of Perth, who lived on this five-acre farm. I was president of the Environment Club at Bullsbrook District High School. And all of a sudden I was I was sent this letter um, after an application process that told me yep. that I had been chosen to go to this first international children's conference run by the United Nations. <laughs> it, and my mum and I, you know, flew out. This was my first flight ever. And, 
you know, experienced this amazing conference of these kids who were creating change in their local communities, all had their local projects. And I, I just soaked it all in. And, you know, I was a pretty enthusiastic little kid. So, you know, sharing those sorts of experiences was really like a red flag to a bull. I was just mm. like, give me more. And when we came back, the, the three, the four of us from Perth, who we didn't know each other, we all came from local primary schools, we decided, well, you know, we've been given this amazing experience. We've got to share this with others. We've been told that we can achieve great things if we work together if we have a vision for our community. And that's when we decided to run a conference of our own. Can you yeah. imagine that? Four kids sitting around a table saying, yeah, let's run a conference <laughs> of our own. And, and, and <laughs> so you're still sort of 12, 13 at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we said, right, let's do it. And so we ran the first Kids Helping Kids conference at the Perth Zoo uh, about 13 months later. And, and that's, that was really the start of um, one of the first youth-led organisations here in Perth, which is now called Millennium Kids, and it's still around today. That's extraordinary. other kids, for, yeah. For a bunch of 12-, 13-year-old yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. What did you put in your application letter, do you remember? Um, I just talked about the, the, the things that we were doing in our community. You know, we were looking after the, the bushland next to our school. We yeah. were turning off lights at lunchtimes. We were encouraging kids to use less water and to conserve their water. And, and this is what it's about. Kids want to do practical things. They see the news. They see the terrible, you know, visions for the future. But they, don't, they, they, they want to actually just focus on what they can do. And that international conference, we, we had these 25 challenges to the, the, the governments of the world. And we took, that, um, we took that back to our own Kids Helping Kids conference. But what we realised is actually if we're going to create change, we're not going to you know, challenge governments, we're not going to challenge adults. We've got to do it ourselves mm. and we've got to be the change that we want to see in our world. And so Millennium Kids has always been about he- helping kids develop their own projects and I go back and mentor um, regularly at the, at the different meetings and, and the, these ideas that these kids have um, of what they want to see changed in their world are just extraordinary if we just listen to what they have to say and instead of taking over as adults but just work together with them as partners because they've got great ideas and inspiration too and they just need our support. I don't want to just take you immediately to a potentially kind of explosive, controversial political issue. But recently, of course, we've had kids all over the country, you know, take a day off school, which I know was very divisive to people, whether that should or should not have been encouraged by schools. But, you know, thousands of kids in the streets protesting about the environment and climate action and everything on a school day. I'm guessing that filled your heart with joy. It did. You know, if you look back uh, to the United Nations and the rights of a child, they have the right to be a part of this community and to tell them that they can't, that what they think is not important is not an inclusive approach to our community. We've all got to work together on these things. And, you know, you talk to any 12-year-old about these issues and they are up to date. They know their stuff. They are not uneducated about these issues. And, you know, if we stop actually telling kids what they can't do and actually help empower them to see what they can do, it's amazing to see the results. Mm. And, you know, I've been a, a part of one of those amazing organisations in Millennium Kids. The way that that organisation has empowered me to be able to continue to create change, it was a catalyst in my life. You know, mm. I've, I'm a volunteer for life now. 
Um, and and if we actually support them in their ideas, this is where the innovation comes from. Mm. And, you know, we've got to listen to what they have to say. Those uh, are the kids that you went to the conference with from from Perth, are you still in touch with them? Yeah, have, absolutely. Have they all gone on to do similar sorts of things? Oh, to, yeah, in absolutely. Their lives? And you know, it's it's amazing to actually keep a, a you know follow the stories of all the alumni of Millennium Kids because you'll you'll often bump into you know environmental scientists and lawyers and teachers and they'll go actually I went to one of those kids helping kids conferences yeah that really inspired me to go on and study environmental science or to be a teacher or to be a lawyer it's really inspiring to see that you know those experiences as a child can be really vital when mm. we're um, trying to engage people with not only what they'll do as a job, but how they will contribute to community. And and that's what we need more of. Who planted that seed for you then to become a, you know, a facilitator and a, and a, and a leader and someone who's pushing for social change? Who, who, inspired oh, so, you as a So kid. many people. You know, I was lucky enough to um, hear so many speakers at that international conference. You know, the, the book I read is um, in, in the university library room when I should have been reading my law texts were, was um, Anita Roddick's um, the body Business chop. as Unusual. Yeah. And I know that has, you know, created so many change makers just from, from her book. Um, there were so many teachers along the way that really inspired me. My parents, you know, just setting up the, the permaculture club, you know, in their own communities, just being the change that they want to see in the world and being able to explore, you know, what it is that really brings us together and ignites who we are. And mm. if we follow that and we follow the things that we're good at, and I was lucky, you know, being through through the Kids Helping Kids conferences, running those conferences every year, I was running my own workshops, you know, speaking, introducing the Premier, um, going and talking to politicians. That all laid a really great foundation as a community change maker and leadership facilitator. You're obviously a very confident kid because the idea of doing that to most kids <laughs> would fill them with terror. They'd be hiding behind the couch. Yes, yeah, some, some come of out. them. Some of them, but, you know, others, you know, will take it up uh, very easily. I remember, you know, even some of the kids that we have mentored through Millennium Kids who have been the quietest yeah. shyest kids it's funny when you put them in that environment that is really empowering that they they find their feet they find yeah. their voice and even the shyest kids you know they become the mentors for others as well it's a really beautiful um, mm. experience to watch all right well i wanted to speak to you more about what led you down the path of, of a law degree and then what ripped you out <laughs> uh, after the break we need to take a break alicia curtis is our special guest this is inspiring stories on 882 6pr back with more soon you're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are speaking to Alicia Curtis, uh, one of the state's uh, Inspiring uh, social and business entrepreneurs, uh, which, as we heard just before the break there, really started uh, as a youngster uh, and then just grew and grew through your teenage years. Now, what on earth then in, in, led you down the, the road of, of studying law? 
Yes, it's an interesting one. When you're an entrepreneurial kid, it yeah. is a bit of a, a hard one to, you know, you sort of shuffled into that UWA university sort It just of felt space. like the right thing to do at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Because there wasn't, you know, many other options. That no you disrespect sort of to over. anyone who's in that fantastic profession, by the way. Oh, look, you know, <laughs> everybody's got to find their place. But I feel like entrepreneurial kids yep. get a little bit lost around what to do next. Mm. And, you know, when university is seen as the next step, and and that kind of felt like you know what, what I experienced. Yeah. Uh, it was you know the the thing to do, but not necessarily maybe the right thing for me to do. How far into it did you get then before I, you pulled I, the pin? I got about halfway through a law degree. I right. did. I did try and stick at it, um, but it wasn't until sort of yeah in that second year that I went. Right, I need a job. I need to, you know, uh, earn money to stay at university. And I was actually flying to lots of different conferences and with my volunteering work, very involved on the weekend. So it wasn't very conducive to a normal part-time job that you would have at university. And I was being asked to speak a lot and, you know, lucky enough at the end of school to win a few state youth uh, awards and and so that encouraged you know schools and and conferences to reach out to hear me speak and and share the story of millennium kids and kids helping kids conferences and I remember having this conversation with my mum saying you know what should I do how do I you know fit this all in and she said well why don't you just start a business sharing your story and sharing how others can do the same as you I'm like, Mum, you know, nobody's going to, you know, want to do that. But I remember, you know, sitting at UWA and getting the first call, next call for a speaking opportunity out in Meriden um, Regional for, the, you know, a regional conference and, and just said, oh, look, you know, I've just got a small fee for me to come out. And they were like, yeah, sure, why not, mm. you know. And I was like, wow. It just like opened my mind to go, wow, something I'm good at, something that I love, something that I can add real value uh, and I can actually develop a business around this too. And so that was really exciting and that started my first steps into business. Is this the the birth of Elysium? It is. It is. So Elysium, the the name comes from the word Lyceum, which is like an ancient Greek word for education, but education with purpose. And so that sort of mixed in with my own name brings about Elysium. And, you know, I'm just so lucky to have found that pathway so Mm. young. Um, But it's just given me most incredible experiences working with, you know, first off I was working with a lot of the student leaders in, in high schools, but then I got to work with, some of the people that are not seen as your leaders, maybe yeah. your unlikely leaders. And I tell you what, they I had the most fun with those kids. You know, getting to work with um, Indigenous kids, boarders who came down to Perth and just be the only person that actually sits and talks with them and actually believed that they could be a leader. Mm. And some of these kids come from, you know, regional towns where – you know, there might be 30 people in their whole town and they come down to a boarding school of 10 times that. Mm. And they might not ever speak in class because they're so shy. And then being, you know, put into a leadership program where they actually get to share what their aspirations are. And when I heard what they wanted to say, they wanted to talk for their communities. They wanted to bring back knowledge for their families. They wanted to share their culture with the kids down here, with the teachers down here. 
it was so inspiring. So to be able to help their leadership journey and to see how they could prosper just when somebody had the expectation that they could actually stand up and be a leader. That's really been the foundation of my leadership work and I've been lucky to work with newly arrived migrants, young women from different cultural backgrounds and even now the, the work that I get to do Um, engaging young professionals to sit on boards of community organisations. A lot of people, when we started that program, thought, you're crazy. Nobody's going to want a 30-year-old on a board of a community organisation. They had these stereotypes of what young professionals were and it actually just didn't meet or didn't connect with who we were bringing into these programs. The young professionals that we were bringing in, they were highly intelligent, highly engaged, highly connected with their community, globally minded, had travelled, had brought back, and they wanted to give back to their communities. And so for us, it was like, not why would you have these young professionals on your board? It's like, why wouldn't you? They had the time to give back and they Mm. wanted to give their technical skills um, to support community organisations. And that's just been a wonderful project Mm. to be involved with. We've had uh, now 140 young professionals who have gone through that program, over a hundred board appointments have been made by those young people to, you know, every organization from YMCA down to, you know, your small local community organizations. Mm. And each one of them um, have valued from better diversity in, in the boardroom of these community organizations. Do you reckon um, millennials get a bad rap? These days, I mean, they're a section of the of the population demographic that, that that's constantly being oh, yeah. <laughs> criticised for being disconnected, for being selfish, for just being uh, sucked into these whatever sure. games, mobile yeah, phones, yeah. social media, just basically not giving a toss about anyone around them. Yeah, which is really it, funny. Is that re- does it? I mean, and, and you're you're with these people absolutely um, all the time. Yeah, it's my generation. <laughs> Is that unfair, that that description? I think so. I think it is a little bit. When you look at actually the stats around volunteering, for example, um, young people are uh, one of the the best volunteers in our community at the moment. Um, When you look at the change that they're actually wanting to to bring about in the in the workplace as mm. well as the community. They want businesses, they want brands who focus on people and purpose rather than profits. I, I find it funny because you, you're the children of the baby boomers and, you know, our our parents, um, they spent their our whole childhood growing up saying, you can do anything, you can make this change. And then in the workplace, it's like, no, just be quiet and keep going ahead. Mm. No, millennials want something different. And I think it's really exciting to see the changes that they're bringing about in, in the community, in the workplace. And, and again, it's, it's about uh, g- generations working together. I think the real power comes from intergenerational um, partnerships that really connect um, experience with the uh, the inspiration and the uh, youthful enthusiasm of uh, millennials. Mm. And I've seen that in my own business career when I've been able to connect in with some really inspiring CEOs. I mean, the Engaging Young Leaders on Boards project wouldn't have come about without a partnership between myself and a CEO of an aged care organisation. I mean, we couldn't have been 
Well, you, you don't know. imagine kids engaging with the aged care sector well, at all, right. do you? So I, don't, I shouldn't say kids, but, you know, Yeah, younger, younger professionals. Yeah. And that's why it was deemed as this really innovative project. Yeah. And many people told us, you know, it was really strange and, yeah. and crazy. But seven years down the track, it's one of, you know, CEOs tell us they just couldn't see um, the not-for-profit sector without this type of program that just connects different types of thinking um, and, and in, you know, it, it's those partnerships. You know, it's not about millennials replacing baby boomers. It's about working together on issues that we all feel are important. Mm. And look, you know, n- no other time has the not-for-profit sector been, so, you know, changed so much. So actually having some experience of the last 10, 15 years uh, in the not-for-profit sector is actually not going to do you much good because it's all changed. Mm. And we need new types of thinking. We need new business models. We're targeting different target markets. Um, and so now is the time for, you know, bringing on that crazy person mm. onto your board who might just have a very different idea of how this organisation or this sector might be like um, in 10, 20 years' time. Well, I suppose just as much as the millennials have uh, have copped some flack uh, in recent times, the baby boomers have as well. Yeah. <laughs> haven't they? I mean, it's often sort of put that the that the millennials or the or the, the Gen Xers have uh, uh, trying to clean up the mess yeah, and left look, by the baby boomers. Is that unfair then? Because you're sort of straddling both absolutely. generations, aren't you, and trying to get them to work together. Well, I think... Are they very different? No, not. No? They're not. And you've got to be very careful of stereotypes, yeah, don't you? Yeah. Really. But uh, occasionally, I suppose, when you're talking about sort of mass trends and, yeah. and you know, ideas and philosophies on a, on a mass scale, you, you, you can't help but apply generalizations. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you've got to find the good eggs in everyone, right? Yep. There's going to yep. be there's going to be uh your people who sit on on the the games every day all day whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial and then Oh yeah, Fortnite's be... very popular yeah, in the exactly. <laughs> in the over 50s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you can find the people who are like-minded to you. And and that's what it's about when you get out and volunteer in the community, you're finding like-minded people yeah. and um, you know, that's why I love 100 Women, just yes. to go into that as well. You know, you the, the events that we run with 100 Women, you're pulling together people who have this connection to a higher purpose. Mm. But it's actually great networking as well because mm. you get to meet these people from all these different walks of life, all the different industry backgrounds, but they all have this commonality, which is this connection to higher purpose and wanting yep. to make a difference in the community. Save that thought. We want to get into that. A little more after the break. This is Inspiring Stories here on 882 6BR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6BR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Alicia Curtis. Uh, Alicia, I want to get on to the 100 Women Project uh, in a moment because I know that's uh, really important to you and takes up a lot of your time. But uh, just the the, the people that really inspired you. You mentioned your parents. You mentioned uh, Anita Roddick as well. Mm. Um, We sort of glanced over her. But Mm. Anita Roddick, uh, a pretty important person in your life. Absolutely. She founded The Body Shop, which of course became a... Global. Worldwide phenomenon. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but more why importantly, was she so important to Yeah, more importantly, she was one of these early pioneers of the triple bottom line. What does that so mean? So looking at the, the impact that you make on uh, people 
and uh, the environment and the community as well as the profits that you make. So reading her book, Business as Unusual, it really was a Bible for a different way of running a business. And really what I gained from that that, um, book was that you could use business as a vehicle for social change as well, which was such a revolutionary notion back in her day. And, you know, the media, the attention that she had around this, people thought she was crazy. And Mm. now 20 years, 25 years down the track, you've got this whole conscious capitalism movement where actually businesses are realising that actually to put purpose and people before profits is actually good for business as well. You'll do better in business because your staff want to come to a place where purpose is is key. Mm. Um, your your um, your consumers want to buy from brands that have a social conscience. Mm. They don't want to buy from um, businesses that do the wrong things for their people and the environment. Can I sound cynical for for a moment? Go for it. <laughs> there are people who. Uh, see companies maybe like the body shop. I don't want to, you know, highlight them because obviously Anita's a hero of yours, but that businesses kind of hijack. There's this pretense, this facade of being a champion for social, but really yeah. it, it's it's nonsense. Oh, absolutely. They're just there to make money. It's called, it's called greenwashing, yeah, right? Well, so what where do you, you make of that? Where you put it out as if you are, yeah. you know, encouraging of the environment and people, but actually practices don't. Mm. Match and actually now that there are great um, accreditations that you can get. There's a an accreditation called B Corp, um, B Benefit. You know you're benefiting the environment, people um, beyond profits or as alongside profits of your business. And and it's great to see those accreditations coming in into practice because then at least you've got a proper yardstick and it can't you can't be held victim of the greenwashing mm. um, when they're actually not you know, putting the practices in to support that. And so that's all coming about. And we're actually seeing these social enterprises now, some some really big organisations now who are putting, the, you know, their money where their mouth is and actually saying, right, you know, half of my profits are going to this cause or they're just running businesses differently. And so when I started my business nearly 20 years uh, ago, it was really about, for me, it wasn't about the profits. It was really about the impact that we could create. And I've just been so fortunate fortunate to be able to, you know, create um, programs and projects and run uh, partner with organisations that had the same values as as I did and and really show that there is another way when you're running your business. And for me, you know, growing up as a teenager, always being involved in community Mm. organisations, that's probably where I was headed. But then reading that book, it really just showed me another opportunity. And I love business. Mm. Every single day, the creativity, the people that I get to meet, the projects that I get to work on. So inspiring. Um, and, and then being able to do that, um, making a profit for my family, but also being able to contribute to issues that are really important yeah. to me. Um, and, you know, volunteer in my community, that's that's what is important to me. Um, in terms of measuring, you know, success, your success and, and, and the way other businesses measure their own success, um, obviously the dominant measure is is the bottom line. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the profit column. Hopefully there is one. Yeah. Um, tell me about this course you attended in, in Bhutan of all yeah. places. Bhutan, uh, oh, they, they... National Happiness Centre. You know, and it, again, that that is, they were revolutionaries in what they were doing. So instead of um, measuring their 
the, the success of their country through their GDP, how much people buy things. Just like, let's just stop and just think about that for a moment. We are basing the success of our community, our country, on how much people spend, on how much money gets spent. And that's all the good things and all the bad things that we get to spend money on. Cleaning up graffiti, that goes and contributes to your GDP. Being able to support people in our health system who are sick, that supports and contributes to our GDP. Is that the best measure of success that we can come up with in our country? I don't think so. And what Bhutan have done is created this other success mechanism. So this was done on a government level? Government level. They went out and they would um, interview – it's a small country – but they would interview every one of their – their people in their country on nine different um, indicators of um, what success really meant to them. Are they healthy? Are they educated? Um, Is the community governed well? And they came up with this gross national happiness um, indicator and really were one of the the revolutionaries of the world to actually say, actually, we're not um, going to base the success of our country on how much we spend. We're going to um, look at how happy our people are. And and now, just, you know, only recently, Jacinta Ardern has um, enacted, you know, a similar um, indicator in New Zealand, you know, around well-being. How, How healthy are our people in how physically healthy they are, mentally healthy, how educated they are, how much time do they get to spend with their families. These are the things that really mean something to people. Yes, we've all got to have jobs. We've got to be able to um, contribute something to the greater good in terms of our jobs, but also our community. And let's just bring that balance back into place because I think sometimes we think that, you know, the economic drivers are the only things that are going to make us happy. Mm. And of course, I'm not saying, you know, not having those jobs is um, the right thing. But, you know, even Millennium Kids, I was reading one of the kids was from Asia and they were talking about the pollution in their city and how everybody had to wear, you know, face masks because of the pollution that was being caused by all the, the cars on the road. Can you think about, you know, how that affects the happiness, the well-being mm. of a community? The environment has to be seen as just as an important driver in our community that makes us happy yeah. as people. And, you know, we live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world uh, here in Perth. Our environment is so important to us and we've got to look after that and we've got to make sure that every decision that we make as a community takes uh, into consideration all of those indicators Jobs and the economy is just one of them. And it's the same around the business, you know, profits versus people. We've got to look at both of them um, to actually drive successful businesses. And I think as a country, we need to look at, you know, a, a number of indicators, how how uh, well our people are, how um, we're looking after our environment and the jobs. It's, it's not a... Um, Either or, mm. it's a both and. Which I think we, we saw play out here in our recent federal election, didn't we? You know, yeah. obviously the economic narrative, yeah. as is always the case in an election campaign, is kind of the dominant story. Yes. Um, and uh, obviously climate change was was also an important element in the campaign the as well. The two but most the, important but issues But it seems it's an either or, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, climate action pulls back on, on business and maybe inhibits our ability to, to spend. But you're saying that 
it doesn't have it's to be that way. It's such a false story, really. You know, you look at technology, look at climate change, renewable energies. You know, it, it's very scary for us to think about a different sort of future. But those those industries will create just as many jobs for us um, as the traditional um, industries. Mm. And it's about us being brave, I think, and actually thinking about what is the future that we want, not only now but um, for our children. And I, although I haven't seen it yet, but um, the, the movie 2040, I, I've been told, is a really exciting vision of what, you know, our community can look like. We are bombarded with the negative stories of, you know, what, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us if we don't um, make some change towards climate change? And it's always this fear story. Uh, instead, 2040, what it does is actually shows us the opportunity that mm. we have to actually create the community and the environment that we want. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I encourage every, everybody to go see it. Unfortunately, the mass media gets hooked on the doomsday scenario, it doesn't does, it? It does, a little bit. Yeah. Except for this uh, this series. I love no, this exactly. series. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. little ray of sunshine in the week. Absolutely. <laughs> we got sidetracked there. I still haven't asked you more about uh, the 100 Women Project, but we need to take a break. We will get to that right after that, Sounds though, I good. promise, Alicia. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882-6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are with Alicia Curtis uh, in this episode. Uh, as promised, we need to talk about uh, your 100 Women Project, which you co-founded. Tell us about it. Who are these women? What do you do and, and why do you do it? So 100 Women really was born by uh, firstly reading a book called Half the Sky and seeing the injustices that still happen around the world for women. And I read this book and I just um, it just really got to me um, because I thought, well, if this was my sister who was, you know, um, not having access to health or education or a, a job or being able to support their families. I just wouldn't let this happen. Are we talking about uh, in the injustices in, in our local communities here or in other parts of the well, world? Well, this book or? was written by two international journalists yep. and they talked about the stories that they had seen right around the world. And, you know, there's just as much injustice still that occurs, discrimination uh, to women here in Australia as is around the world. But sometimes we like to think that we're mm. very, we're very progressed, and because I'd always been involved in giving my time, um, I I thought, okay, well maybe I can start an organisation that can help in this way. But what I realised was a lot of these organisations needed money; they needed funding. People weren't funding women and girls here in Australia and overseas, and there was no funding that you could tap into. So I, I, you know, I remember thinking to myself, I'm sure I know a hundred women who would give a hundred dollars a month, who we could just, you know, pull that money together and just give away as grants. Mm. And I remember um, running a workshop out in 2J with um, a good friend of mine, and we were coming back um, into Perth after the, the the day, and we were talking about, you know, ideas to change the world. And these are the types of conversations I have on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit sad, but uh, you know, this is what I love. I love talking about ideas and and really tangible ways that we can change uh, and improve the community in different ways. And I told her the idea of 100 women. 
And she just said, oh, this is just so tangible, so practical. We can make this happen. Let's let's just do it. And I'd, I'd actually had this idea for a couple of years at that stage, but just it wasn't the right timing. Busy with business, busy with family. And, you know, her enthusiasm around this just, you know, got me into action. I'm like, right, mm. let's let's do it. Let's, you know, make it happen. And so we started meeting together. We actually both fell pregnant at that stage. <laughs> and so we, okay, put it on the bench for a minute. Uh, and when our, our babies were only young, we said, right, we're going to put together a committee of people to make this happen. And we've pulled together our first committee. We, you know, like good millennials, we actually put it out on social media, said, this is the idea, this is what we want to do. Um, anybody want to join uh, the committee uh, to start this? And we were just overwhelmed with the, the support. Mm. People were like, yes, I will, you know, I'll give, um, I'll be on your committee. We pulled together this amazing team of people from all different, you know, areas who had, you know, experience in philanthropy and business development and marketing. Not just necessarily people with deep pockets. And a, no, and a no, just people like me, you know, just yeah. regular people who had this, you know, loved this idea of everyday people being involved in philanthropy uh, and learning about how philanthropy, how our money can be invested in our community in, in the best way possible. And so I've learned so much about philanthropy over the last um, six years by being involved in 100 Women and just coming together with different people and sharing what is important to us, how we would give this money, and, and then seeing the causes that are out there. So it took us six months from that stage to launch the organization, get everything set up in this organization. We were just talking before about what it takes to set up a community organization. Like it's it's a lot of work. It's mm. a lot of paperwork. It's a lot to get your head around. Within six months, we'd set up everything that we needed to launch. We didn't even know whether it would work or not, this idea of everyday people being involved in giving um, and in philanthropy. Within the first eight months, we had 82 people join up. We'd raised our first $100,000 and we'd actually given it away. You know, this is how naive we were. We, we actually started the grant-making process without even having the money in the bank. Um, but by, um, and can I, I say, who do you give it to? Who, who so are the recipients we, of your, uh, your funds? The, the, the recipients are amazing organisations. We both give to local organisations and international or, or right across Australia. That are predominantly about sort of furthering uh, women in all walks of life and, and supporting girls. Support women and girls to get access to health, education, economic uh, empowerment and safety. Those okay. are the four areas. It was based on the book that we read, Half the Sky. These are the four areas that women need um, support in. So we've given money um, to organisations overseas that have re- provided reusable sanitary products to women in regional Cambodia who mm. have um, supported uh, women and girls in Thailand to get STEM education to get jobs in engineering and computer science to support their families. Closer to home, we've given um, projects uh, in regional areas of Western Australia. We gave a fantastic project, um, a grant to Telethon Kids Institute to support women in Fitzroy Valley to become community health researchers and to support the work that they're doing with their FASD, the fetal alcohol syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, research in their community areas. These Indigenous women, they've had enough. 
enough. They want to support their communities to be healthy, their kids to be healthy. And this grant gave them the access to the education that they needed to become community health researchers and report back to Telethon Kids Institute and get better data to support their communities to become um, to have healthy children, mm. basically. Fantastic project. Um, another one, Girls from Oz that work in regional Western Australia in Halls Creek, supporting girls to finish high school through providing an incentive to offer um, uh, dance and, and music classes um, to girls, teenage girls. Um, at the moment, the, the the numbers of girls that are finishing high school is is terrible, and we need community based um, solutions to support them. And girls from Oz are doing fantastic job in being able to provide that long-term support. They're not just coming into these regional communities and ducking out. They're there over the long term. And, you know, some of those girls uh, came down to Perth to perform at the concert hall and they also performed at one, one of our grants galas. And just to see the excitement and the challenge it was to perform in front of a big group come down to Perth but the um, the confidence that they gained from that experience was just um, incredible and and then we've um, supported uh, uh, many uh, Perth projects as mm. well um, youth futures who support um, young women who are at risk of homelessness um, who are pregnant and um, are expecting their their first baby um, to gain uh, homes, accommodation, so they don't lose their child for the first two years of their lives. I mean, just really practical ways of supporting women and, and keeping with their babies. Um, we've supported uh, Perth Zonta House, Shooting Stars, you know, 17 different causes we've yeah. actually given to. Um, and we've given um, just over $500,000. Wow. Um, and and it's been able to impact over 10,000 women and girls over the last um, five years of a grants program. Fantastic. This program, you know, our, our full funding pool didn't exist before before this time. That money didn't exist. And it's just everyday people yep. who are coming together and saying, yeah, I can just give a little. Um, and sometimes it's really um, so confusing to know where to give you know, people, there's about 60,000 charities out there. and people In Australia. In Australia. 60,000. People want to give, but yeah. they're just like, how do I know mm. where to well, give my that's, money? People, yeah, well, exactly. They think, I'm not sure that the money that I give is going to hit the target. They don't know where it's going. And also, this yep. is something that I pay my taxes for. This yeah. is something the yep. government should, should be do. doing. Yeah. It's time to take back that responsibility and yeah. actually say we're going to build – 100 Women offers an opportunity to build an independent funding source to then you get to choose where that money goes. Every single member of 100 Women gets to choose where the money goes. We have mm. a very robust grant-making process. So a committee comes together. Mm. They go through all the applications. We get between 40 and 60 applications every year for the money. I bet you do. Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of need. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of demand out there. Um, we go through the due diligence process. So you know that when you give your money to 100 women, it's going to be spent in the best way possible. Yep. It's going to be checked and rechecked. 
And then you get to see the short list of the, the best organisations mm. and you get to put your vote in around where the money goes. So if you like local projects, you know, you put your votes in for the local projects. We've always had a, a mix of local, national and international projects that we've um, funded. I think people who join 100 Women, they just want to see the money go to Somewhere the good. best, yep. you know, in the best way possible. And unfortunately, you're probably spoiled for choice. Oh, we are. That Absolutely. where that money can go. Can I ask, you know, on a personal level, because I imagine, you know, you're, you give so much of your time to all sorts of different causes, um, and you started on this path really when you were a kid. Yeah. Now you have kids. Yes. <laughs> um, how do you balance it all? It's tough. It's absolutely tough. I mean, um, you know, I've got two kids now, a two-year-old and a six-year-old. Uh, I was up at six o'clock with my two-year-old this morning, um, and, you know, you, you're trying to balance that in the best way possible. I think 100 women, even though um, it's pretty much been like a part-time, you know, voluntary job (laughs) for the last six, seven years, it energizes you so much. So, you know, you don't, you don't give out anything without getting in return. And when you find something that you're truly passionate about, you find the time and you find the energy and it just totally fills your bucket. Mm. And and for me, it's about being a a great role model for my kids now and encouraging them and and sharing these experiences with them now. So, you know, we, we are hopefully growing good community citizens um, in the families that we, you know, we have, because that's where it starts, you know, having those um, role models, you know, seeing my dad run the permaculture club, you know, (laughs) seeing my mum out there volunteering, um, that's where it starts. And that's where you can really make a huge difference. Um, so it is, it is tough to juggle, especially at this time when anybody with kids knows, you know, when they're young, they take a lot of time. Um, and so you're balancing that with, you know, the Oz kick on the weekends or the, you know, jungle gym classes during the week. Um, but, but we all do our best, right? And mm. I, I just say, I just do my little bit. Um, everybody, you know, if everybody puts in a little bit, then we make the community a better place. I'm sure your uh, your two kids are going to be two very socially enlightened little ones. <laughs> they probably don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alicia, best of luck with, with all of your projects, particularly 100 Women. Just just lastly, if people want to become a part of it in any way, what can they do? Absolutely. Do they so thank you. You can join on the website. You can become yep. a member. 100% of your donation goes through the grant recipients, uh, 100women.org.au. You can um, join for as little as $25 a month or uh, $300 a year. If you've got a little bit more, then put a little bit more in um, because it all goes through to some great causes. And not only that, you know, we have uh, events that we ha- we run um, uh, every month or so, and they're so inspiring, so mm. invigorating. So it's about joining a, a community, a giving community, and and really refilling your bucket by giving to others. Alicia Curtis, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story, and good luck with all of your projects. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Bower and O'Day. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.